Hi, I'm Abby. And I'm Jess. And you're listening to Did the Reading Pod. We did the reading, so you don't have to. What are we discussing this week, Jess? We are looking at a short story by Edgar Allan Poe. So we're doing The Pit and the Pendulum. Wonderful. But before we talk about that, how has your week been, Jessica? How has my week been? I feel like I'm hitting peak kind of like time doesn't exist Mm. point. Um, But unfortunately, my deadlines do still exist. So it's been a reasonably boring week of working, although some reading, a lot of walking. There's really not much I can update you on, (laughs) to be quite honest. We've also hit full like baking production. Oh yeah, anything exciting? Um, I made a very nice apple and like blackcurrant tart, which I thought was really nice. I was like, oh, it doesn't look fantastic. But then I sent it to some friends and one was like, oh, is that beetroot? That looks lovely. And I was like, oh, perfect. (laughs) You're like, Um, "Um, sure, if that's going to sell it to you, uh, it can be. They were like, oh, it looked like bits of turnip. But I was like, oh. What? Well, aesthetics isn't my strong suit. I'll send you a picture after this and you'll be like, oh no, I get it. Oh my god. But G's made some lovely cookies, which look a bit better. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm not bitter about. That just sounds so rancid though, turnip and beetroot tart. Like, just the idea that somebody would be like, oh, that's that's great, thank you. I mean, I've made it like a cracking, what was it? I made like a beetroot tart for a dinner party once where I was like, ah, I must make something sophisticated. Mm, Of course. But that was intentional. (laughs) Um, And it was actually beetroot that time. Yeah, it was. It was delicious. Um, Anyway, moving swiftly on. (laughs) What have you been up to? Um, What have I been up to? Uh, I'm trying to teach myself to skateboard. Um, no yes uh please tell me you have footage i do not yet and to be honest if there was any footage it would just be me walking sadly up and down the road going about two paces and then having to pick the board back up again um but yeah i mean the thing is i've been like phoebe phoebe thinks it's so tragic but i've got really into tiktok lately and all the tiktok teens are skateboarding says the 22 year old (laughs) they're uh wearing cool eye makeup and uh, they're thrifting and refitting their clothes. And I think to myself, God, I wasn't doing this in my youth. Maybe I should be doing this now. Really embracing the, like, I'm just going to fully become 14 again. Exactly. I'm like there and I'm like, oh, maybe I should learn a TikTok dance. Like, I'm trying to force Phoebe to do it. And she's like, no. So now I'm just like on my own, like, odyssey towards skateboarding mediocrity. I'll keep you informed, but we'll wait and see. And uh, speaking of somebody going on an odyssey towards mediocrity, Edgar Allan Poe's The Pit and the Pendulum. So, sorry, was this the first time you've read The Pit and the Pendulum, Jess? Uh, It was. I had to read The Goldbug in uni sometime, I want to say third year. Mm -hmm. But yes, it was the first time I read it. I really liked it. It's nice to read something (laughs) short and sweet as well. Um, How about you? Yeah, I think the same thing. Like, I think I had read some Poe in first year, like The Telltale Heart and stuff like that. But this was my first time reading The Pit and the Pendulum. And I think it's super interesting because I hadn't read it before, but it had so many resonances for so many other things that I've read or watched or, like, consumed since. So I thought... It was really exciting to see something that was kind of like at the um, consummation of horror as a form. 
if you will. Yeah, I know what you mean. I will on this one occasion. Oh, thank you. But very I feel much. like often, <laughs> I feel I do that a lot. You know, when you read things that are classics, mm. and then you're like, oh, this did it first. Yeah. Like I see where X, Y, and Z have based that on. Yeah, exactly. And I think that is, it's really nice when you see something you're like, oh yeah, this is where that idea comes from. And I feel like it is such a simple and classic idea, but you can see why it's had the longevity it has because it is just a uniquely difficult psychological challenge, I think. Yeah, so speaking of which, uh, should I explain what actually happens in this? Yes, please do. I'd love you to give us a summary. Well, thank you, I shall. Okay, so the narrator, who we never get named, wakes up and he's like, oh my god, you wouldn't believe it. I've literally just had my trial and have been sentenced to death complete nightmare and we're all like that's crazy anyway so he's like sat in this dark chamber and he thinks he's being he's been buried alive but he hasn't and he's just like feeling around he's like oh i don't know uh maybe there's a hole in the floor i don't know anyway then he falls asleep then he wakes up and he finds some bread and some water and he looks around and he sees that it's a square cell and there is a pit in the middle of the floor and on the ceiling there is a uh what's it called like a, a kind of image, a panel, a relief, if you will, of Father Time um, swinging a pendulum. And he's like, oh my god, that's so crazy. It looks like it's moving. Oh, it is moving. Oh, it's it's really moving. Oh, it's swinging down towards me and it's like a giant guillotine. We're all like, oh my god, bummer. So he realises that he's going to be sliced to death. And then he's like, I'd rather not. So he uses the meat that he's got left out and he's like, oh, I'll just rub this on my bandages. And then some rats which are hanging out are like, no problem. We will consume those bandages for you. Spiced as they are with a little gravy. And so then he gets out of bed. He's like, ideal, I will not be sliced to death. And then the walls start to cave in, pushing him to fall into the pit. And then the story ends. Super. So, as per last week, I have um, some little cards, and I will set the little five-minute timers so that we can keep moving, keep fun, keep spicy. Is it I'm a celebrity, or is it Bear Grylls? This is one of yours, so I pray that you will explain it. Okay, hear me out here. I feel like you could basically i want you to try and argue for one or the other there are influence well not influences <laughs> elements of both i feel like that is there is very much this weird vibe of oh i'm fine i will definitely survive not least because it's written first person and in like the past tense so you're like obviously they're going to be fine yeah but there's this kind of like oh, I'm a vaguely intelligent person and I'm a manly man, therefore I will find my way to get out of any situation. Yeah. And there's also just the that image of him just being like crawled over by rats. I can't deal with it. It's why I can't watch I'm a Celeb. But I do think in a way the kind of... I would have said the crawling over with rats point has more in common with the kind of Bear Grylls moment. You know when he does that thing where he's like, unfortunately, although we have five camera crew with us and a caravan... I have no choice but to chew this bug. And you're like, what? See, Bear Grylls is more like, oh, don't even worry, lads. I'm just going to drink my own piss here. Literally. Um, and, like, sleep inside a bear. Yeah. Whereas 
the rats thing and it and it talks a lot where it's like oh it was horrible but i just like had to lie still because i knew it would like get me out but i think in another way our kind of a voyeuristic gaze makes it a bit more i'm a celeb because like that thing of like we have to oh well actually i, I the point i was gonna make was like you know that kind of like the almost like schadenfreude enjoyment of them going through awful things whereas i feel like in bear grills there is at least a kind of superficial element of him being like oh i'm trying to like teach you something i'm like a survivalist whereas like in i'm a celebrity it's like no one wants to be doing this uh, but we're all just watching them do it like okay i feel like the whole thing though is it's very much like he finds himself and he's in a pit and it's like pitch black and he's like don't even worry I've got a knife. And then he, like, jams it in the wall, tries to count his paces, Mm. gives us, like, meticulous detail, being like, this is how I did it. I, like, counted my paces, and then I, like, used the, the, like, rags of the end of my cloth thing. Mm -hmm. And, like, did this, that, and the other. Do you know what I mean? I feel like there was, like, an element of... Not quite, like, don't worry, lads, if you get captured by the Spanish Inquisition, this is how you do it. Certainly. but yeah, no, I do bit. I do see what you mean. And I think, you know, like, that kind of detail giving, on the one hand, like, loads of people say, you know, it's, like, a really important to the horror genre. You know, it's like that physicality, it's like a complete elision of self into this, like, sensory nature. On the other hand, it is also basically, like, that kind of Daniel Defoe, like, inventorying, I'm Bear Grylls and all I've got in my rucksack is two squirrels and a knife. And I'm gonna make them. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, I know what you mean. It did have very um, Robinson Crusoe exactly in like a in a. But it's the, it's there's a weird thing around like the masculinity of it that really bugs me in terms of it's kind of like, oh, I'm absolutely fine. Every, like a weird kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps attitude. Sure, being like everything is possible. It's fine. You just like you say need two squirrels or perhaps like a piece of cloth mm-hmm. and also conveniently like a hand to come and reach down and grab you out of the pit at the very end yeah um the detail of it also kind of grounds you a bit mm. you know like with some horror films you're watching them and you're like there's actually just such a level of like gore or death or whatever going on here that you almost become like desensitized to it yeah. like i feel this was quite creepy because it kept bringing you back yeah but i do i think it I think what you're saying is really, like, important because I think the unreality of it, it's, like, in itself, as a kind of situation, it's not that scary. But that feeling of what would it be like to actually be in that setting and how would my own body and my own surroundings respond to it is what makes it stressful, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I as... I mean, I'm reading it and I'm not thinking, like, oh, yes, I can heavily relate to, like being stuck in a pit by in the middle of the spanish inquisition oh i am but oh okay well Uh we can come back to that (laughs) um but i know what you mean though it's the he does the reason it's so terrifying and that it's been the basis for so many things is he taps into very kind of very like basic psychological i don't know fears i guess without being too like basic about it no i think Um, that's right yeah like at the end when the walls start coming in i feel like that's something that's used so many times Mm -hmm. but it's like it's like heights or something isn't it it's used because it's something that evolutionary biological like thing to fear so it makes plenty of sense 
if you were writing a GCSE essay, what would you compare this to and why? Oh, God. <laughs> this is a horrible question. I'll tell you what I had thought of. I'll tell you a couple of things I'd thought of, and you can... Oh, please do. Use those as a springboard. So... One of the first ones I'd sort of thought of when I was reading it was, you know the opening bit where he feels, he's like, oh my god, I think I've been buried alive. That really Mm. reminded me of uh, that bit in Northanger Abbey where she's like walking around the house and she's like, oh my god, I can't believe his mother murdered his father or like, I can't remember exactly what her thing was. But like, she's (laughs) in this complete, she's sort of, terrified herself with this false implication and we're all like brought on that journey with her and then she's like oh sorry I was wrong that kind of reminded <laughs> me of that and I feel like it's it's very real but it's also a kind of quite weird and unusual literary device because it's not often that we feel so deeply like the inconsistencies of somebody's thinking or like the inaccuracies of it so that was one thing I'd thought of and then the other I'd thought of was obviously sore it really reminded me of but i wouldn't i wouldn't have done it in a gcse essay because it is it it's a bit of a disclaimer you know i just just for all our gcse listeners out there would recommend you start your classic novels but i think saw is a very close fit with it in terms of like that inescapability the external control that feeling of the shifting space of those tortures which are completely if it's not one it's the other it's the next it's the next because i mean like there are always those bits isn't it where it's like oh you've got to get this key out of the acid pot oh if you don't get your key out of the acid pot your ribs are going to get ripped off and turned into like barbecue meat i don't know anyway no that makes sense i have to say i'm drawing a bit of a blank i feel like i at the moment am reading like very 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 specific and not much else literature okay but I don't know. I have to say, I don't read, um, I feel like I want to read more kind of, not, again, like, I don't feel like horror is the right word, but kind of, what's um, key about this one is there's no, there's no, like, element of the supernatural, like, there is in quite a few of his, his being Poe's writing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the horror of it is, yeah, like a thriller, psychological kind of thing. Yeah. I suppose also, like, if we're bringing it back to, like, the film thing, it does feel a bit like uh, that moment in... Um, this is something I know you've seen, so we can talk about this. It's Silence of the Lambs. You know that scene? <laughs> I talk about this all the time because it really is, like, for me, like, the very nexus of, like, my entire understanding of horror because I don't watch horror. Like, you know that bit where... No, I think we're on the same page. <laughs> you know exactly what I mean. Like, the bit with the um, night vision goggles and she's in the basement. That is the most, like, viscerally terrifying scene I've ever seen on TV. Like, it actually really, really makes me anxious. It, like, genuinely... Like, the rest of the film, I'm like, low budget, pathetic, don't show me. I don't want to hear about it. And then, like, that bit, I'm, like, actually shitting my pants. I've tried to think about why it is that I find that in particular so unnerving. Mm. And I think it's the... It's the close proximity that he's obviously in. Like, she's not in a big space Mm. and it's pitch black Mm. and you're placed in from like behind her eyes so it's not even just like you can only see her perspective it's you can only see her like goggled perspective yeah and it just oh it really makes me feel quite (laughs) quite uneasy scary enough talking about silence of the lambs 
Um, the scariest film ever. Pick an author or a fictional character and explain why they are most likely to or not to survive the pit and the pendulum. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just thinking of, like, for an English student, like, you, to be like, oh, name a character, and then suddenly my brain's like, we have no characters. Oh my god. I genuinely had this discussion with someone the other day, and they were like, we were talking about what made someone an adult, and they were like, name, like, people who are characters or who are celebrities who you think of as a real adult. And I was like, uh... Um, but yeah, sorry. This, author or fictional character, why they're most likely to or not to survive. Bear Grylls, obviously, as per previous conversation. Yeah, he'd just, like, scale the walls on that Yeah, he genuinely prized out the grout in the time that they had, like, <laughs> taken. <laughs> and he'd have just been, like, spraying it, loosening it, and chiselling it out. Making a meal out of some kind of a mould. Um, okay. Um, I'm trying to think. I feel like there's probably like a very particular brand of like male hero, like 18th century novels, mm-hmm. like Robinson Crusoe. But do you know what I mean? That kind of like adventuring, pioneering, like male hero who's like, I can survive forever. Yeah. And would probably just like work it out. Beyond that, I feel like I, read, I just read like a lot of either classics or modern novels about like people who probably would die in a pit if pushed to it, which I include myself in. I would just like to add. Yeah, genuinely. I, I don't think I would have made it out of that first section. You know, when he was like, and then I rubbed the meat. I'd be like, genuinely, I'd rather die by knife than have like a little rat crawl on me ever. It's like, no, thank yeah. you. I'm sorry. That's, that is just, when push comes to shove, that's where the whole situation would have ended for me. <laughs> and he's like, rats? No, no. They would have been so disappointed to be like, and now for the second act. And then I'd be like, oh, that finished her off. All right. Okay. Oh, um, shove her into the pit. Wasn't even worth the trouble. <laughs> it's like, and we had the moving walls set up and everything. And... <laughs> <laughs> they were like, oh, this guy was so excited to finally use the moving walls. <laughs> but I guess he never will because someone wouldn't play ball. I'm just trying to have a think. I've literally got my bookshelf to my right and I'm looking and I'm like, I'm not struck with inspiration. I feel like there's probably a few like Dickens characters where like, especially if you meet them in childhood, it's like they experience like a lot of shit and just kind of make their way through it. Yeah. But I don't know if like being thrown into a pit counts. Yeah, I mean, I was just trying to think that, like, based off our last, like, week one, after you said that, I was like, could Wemmick have survived it? Like, they've just, like, built a little drawbridge over the pit. <laughs> um, he's there, like, just gotta fix the feng shui in here, quickly. <laughs> he's like, any buttery toast? And they're like, oh my god, outside the cell. <laughs> yeah, you just chat till they let him out and be yeah. like, please leave. <laughs> I loved this one that you put in, which is why we're going to do it next. And it's rats. No. Um, it is, why are we obsessed with ghost and horror stories around Christmas? Okay, hear me out here. Jess is doing a essay, mm. an essay, on, you know, the Signalman, the Dickens story? No, but carry on. Would recommend. Mm. Maybe we'll come to that in a future episode. Anyway. Maybe. It's basically this, like, kind of ghost story but you kind of don't know it's a ghost story until the end and it's about like a signalman so working like with trains basically Mm -hmm. and it's really creepy and really really unsettling 
And then when you do some research into it, Dickens used to publish ghost stories like every Christmas. Um, it was like a, a seasonal greeting. Oh, good on him. And then, yeah, and then this one again was published in a thing called The Gift in 1843, for yeah. those who are interested. And again, was kind of like a collection of ghost slash horror stories. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, there is more to than just like these two examples <laughs> that I'm pulling out. But um, even like Christmas Carol with the ghosts and stuff, I feel like there's some sort of uh, obsessions, perhaps a wrong term, but there is a pattern of people being interested in kind of like ghost and horror stories around Christmas. And I'm not sure whether it's just like ghost stories and horror stories are a very like oral tradition. And that idea of like gathering around a fire and sharing a story is probably like historically Mm -hmm. something that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But I just wondered if you had any thoughts on this. Um, Firstly, I love that analysis. Um, Thank you. Second of all, I think it might also be that thing where often Christmas is a time where we're kind of coming together and like, you know, everyone is in traditionally very safe spaces in terms of Mm. like a home setting. And then it's kind of unsettling that balance, like again, looking for kind of forms of excitement out of like scenarios that are typically very kind of repetitive like constrained contained yeah that makes that's very like um uh sensation fiction yeah vibes no i like that because also i was thinking is it kind of the flip side of like you know stuff like um obviously i can only think of one example now but things like gatsby where it all takes place in like a hot summer mm-hmm. and kill a mockingbird that's another one i was thinking of that's good is it kind of like the flip side of that in terms of like it's literally just like dark and cold outside yeah. <laughs> and miserable weather but because i was thinking of like it was a dark and stormy night but also that was that came from a summer thing yeah but i mean but, i guess also even if you think of stuff like now i mean every christmas like the bbc doing their uh, agatha christie moment or like even oh yeah i mean i know people say it's a comedy but home alone is fucking dark like <laughs> <laughs> Not to be a hater. Join us next time for an in-depth analysis of how fucked up Home Alone is as a narrative. I'm just saying, um, it's crazy. Like, they're all doing, like, a little slapstick routine. But, I mean, like, this child has given these people who, like, genuinely just roll up at his home, realise there is an unsupervised child. Like, also, why do they have no family friends who could, like, drop round? Like, they didn't ring a single person and be like, can you come and fetch that child? And, like... Then, There's not even a lasagna left on the doorstep. Well, I'm just saying. And then, like, the robber's first thought is, like, not, like, cool CPS. Like, whisper <laughs> through the letterbox, will kill him. And then the child's first thought is, I will give these robbers third-degree burns. Not, I will call the police. <laughs> it's like, what is this? The anarchy. Um, yeah, no, I kind of agree. I think it is... It's really unusual, actually, that they ended up something, a really iconic kind of horror thriller story being in a Christmas collection, I think is a really interesting challenge. And also for it to be called a gift when it is something that is genuinely so, like, insanely, iconically horrifying is kind of crazy. But that's just my take. I think also with two people who as we've already discussed are not horror movie fans <laughs> so kind of like that idea of being genuinely like genuinely enjoying 
<laughs> basically being scared shitless. Like, let's not talk about the time, both times you've made me see it in the cinema. <laughs> um, but um, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's without putting <laughs> too fine a point on it. That's really missing from me mm. personally. Like, I don't, I can kind of see it, like, I don't know, in something like roller coasters. Like, that's like a very similar thing. Mm. But also, like, but I don't, I don't understand. The, <laughs> I don't enjoy like purposefully scaring myself with like books or movies. Yeah, like I know because I mean, both times we've gone and seen it, it has been. Can we not? Exhausting. <laughs> Just, like, you clamp to the chair, like basically crying. As Pennywise I think goes. The point here to be made is that boy. I went because you asked me, and that's friendship. <laughs> Despite the fact that I literally kept my fingers in my ears for roughly 78% of the first film. The entire film. Okay, here is Goodreads review. It gets a bit boring, and the ending is extremely disappointing. I think the man should have just died in a really cool way. Um, Okay, we're going to pick up on... Like, the only rational thing I could think of in response to this is the ending did surprise me. He was like, oh, and then a hand appeared. Mm. And the entire Spanish Inquisition came to an end at that precise moment. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, oh, okay. Um, But I dispute their term of boring. I thought it was a very good story. It's kind of you to defend Edgar in that way. I... I agree, though. I suppose, like, what is it... What do you think the hand is supposed to be about? Um, I don't know if it was supposed to be about anything so much as that it was probably scarier and more interesting to write from the first-person perspective. And as I've said, you can't write from the first-person perspective if they die. So, like, it's kind of a convenient way for them to be like, oh, don't worry, the threat was now removed, kind of thing. Yeah. But I suppose it is... I don't don't know if there's any deeper than that, to be honest with you. I think in a way, like, the way I had sort of seen it was either you could kind of view it as, like, a kind of god figure type moment, and it being like... Oh, there is that. Oh, uh, rolls up to save you, and the whole thing becomes quite allegorical in a way, and it's sort of about how we're kind of put through tribulations and met by different challenges that can only be escaped through God. Yeah, he certainly talks about the monks in quite a horrible way. Mm. He just describes them like entirely with like that weird sneering mouth. Yes. Yeah. But it's not to by say... By which I mean like you could read the religious element into it quite easily. And that is kind of you to say. Um, Thank you. But I suppose also it is that kind of disembodied, like, you know, in order for all these things to be happening, we are made aware that there has to be an external voyeur. And is this hand like the final element of a kind of body that is never composed for us? Like, is it scarier to never be able to kind of compose that body as one thing and understand what they look like and who they are? Because, I mean, even, I suppose, when he's describing the judges, it's, like, white judges or whatever. Like, we have no idea who they are. We have no idea who he is. But we're made to sit in his situation, whereas, like, with these kind of external forces, we have no idea who's doing this to him and why and what their motivations are and what they're gaining. 
and so for then a hand to appear like it's kind of this the disembodied presence made real is that like completely off the books or is that semi making sense I think that makes sense but it's also the only point in the narrative where we have a name like he says it was that of General La La Salle I'm not going to try and pronounce that yeah which I just did Um, very strong of you but it was awful anyway (laughs) um and I was wondering whether, like, it's kind of a very weird coincidence if that's literal, or if he, if, or if he means more like it was the hand, it was the kind of metaphorical hand of the general who brought the Spanish Inquisition first to an end. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, I think that um, is also an intriguing point. Thank you. I would like to take this moment to read another Goodreads review that I found, and I would like to take this if moment I may. to accept it. Yes. Um, Okay, this was a very long review, so I have taken a middle bit of it, which I thought was the best bit, but anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, If I knew I was going to be beheaded or hanged or drawn and quartered, at least I could mentally prepare myself for my death. (laughs) Visualising it would somewhat help me come to peace with it. Not to say I wouldn't avoid my bladder at the first sight of the gallows or the executioner's blade, or the bristling rows of rifles all pointed at my heart. Uh Uh-huh. So... (laughs) This was intriguing in and of itself, but also I think there was kind that of... That in itself is like hitting the pendulum part two. Like <laughs> It's true. I'm not sure if, he, if this person tried to kind of take on a very theatrical... Turn of phrase. Turn of phrase, but um, I think that was one of the... When I kind of, you know, very lucidly talked about, like innate psychological fears or whatever i think that idea of like you don't actually know what's going to happen to him like he's in a pit and he's being periodically given the bit of water Mm. so you know it's not going to be like fantastic and he also you know nearly falls down the actual pit bit or whatever yeah but there's kind of the uncertainty and like slightly disregarding the sense that we kind of know he's going to be okay yeah there's like uncertainty and you're kind of like hoping against all hope especially as the pendulum starts like descending Mm. and it's just like working out how he's gonna i don't know i feel like that was like a lot of the driving force of the like pace and fear of the whole thing yeah and i think it is also like an interesting question about uh in a way i suppose you could regard it as a comfort because you are getting given the narrator is being given the time to come to terms with the reality of what his death will look like and yet it is like this horrifying thing because it's exactly as that like reviewer is saying like you know i see it but i'd also avoid my ladder like we're just yeah 10 points for like ton of phrase i've never heard in my life genuinely i Um, like i read that when you'd written it down and i like read it like four times and i was like void bladder (laughs) <laughs> what does this mean? Like, <laughs> so mysterious. No, I, uh, I do agree though. I think it is a really interesting question about having to recognise our own mortality. Thank you very much for talking to me, Jess. It has been a lovely chat. <laughs> Thank you for chatting with me, Abby. Um, you can 
find us on all social media at did the reading pod and you can also email us at did the reading pod at gmail.com oh next week we'll be reading catcher in the right so join us then thanks for listening